0: Merry Christmas. My name is Brad Watson, and this is the Saturate Podcast's Advent devotional called Preparing Room. This is a 25-day reflective journey through the themes of Advent, as well as the themes of being the people God called us to be, so I hope that you will enjoy it. Throughout this season, we've been pointing people to several of our Advent resources, and you can definitely check those out at saturatetheworld.com. As we approach the end of this series and as we approach the end of this year, I want to point out another resource that I think can help people as they take what God has done in their lives in Advent and in Christmas and then begin looking forward into the next year. It's called our Annual Planning Hopes and Dreams Guide. This helps you sit back and reflect on what has happened in the year that was and also dream and plan towards the year ahead as a disciple and as a follower of Jesus. So I hope that you're able to take some time and look into that as well. And with that, let's dive into today's reflection. Christmas Eve, Gospel Feast. Our Advent traditions as a family have become numerous. We've cut down trees. We've uh, made cinnamon rolls for our neighbors. We've gone ice skating. We've taken the girls to see the Nutcracker. We go on hikes. uh, We go to the beach. Uh, Between all of these moments, we experience the normal hustle and bustle of the normal American, you know, Drinking hot chocolate and shopping malls type Christmas. But the most revered and treasured tradition for us is our Christmas Eve feast. This family tradition predates our marriage when my wife and her mother would annually welcome anyone without a family to be with them and to eat with them. This meal was important to my, my late mother-in-law because it depicted generosity, family, and the entire message of the gospel. Our Christmas Eve meal is the most spiritual and religious moment of our entire holiday season. Allah prepares great food, from the appetizers to desserts. We buy the best beer, the best wine, the best whiskey. We decorate our home and we welcome in friend, stranger, and acquaintance. In our first year in Portland, our second year of doing this, it saw us welcome a couple we'd met on the street searching for live music, and we welcomed our landlord and friends from even a long time ago. Each year we see a different collection of people, yet each year it's the same. We have a feast on the evening we celebrate God's arrival. There's hardly anything more appropriate in our worship. More than hymns, more than sermons, even more than candles, we see God's arrival to us at a table with other people. Food is significantly religious. It's through food that Adam and Eve rebel. The first biblical meal is the perversion, pollution, and decreation of all God had made. Adam's feast ushers the world into chaos. Through food, humanity enters a groaning and waiting for wholeness, restoration, and peace. Sin, everything that is unkind, unmerciful, destructive, wicked, lonely, murderous, and mortal, has its birth in that first meal recorded in Scripture. Through Advent, we weep over the consequences of Adam and Eve's meal in which they doubted God's goodness and believed God to be withholding. Advent is necessary because of the separation caused by sin. God coming is caused by that meal. Advent is the season we observe the agony of war and hope for peace. We aspire to hope while we acknowledge our own despair. We long for love while confronting our inability. We receive love from another or muster the courage to love another. The world watches for God's light, peace, joy, salvation, and love to break in. We wait for abundance, blessing, eternal life of God that overpowers our sin and cleanses us. It was through a meal, though, that creation fell apart, but it's also through a meal that God is restoring all things, including us. You've likely never heard an Advent or Christmas sermon on Isaiah 25, but it's a deep song of arriving hope and peace and love to the world. It says on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, a rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain, the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever and the Lord will wipe away tears from all faces And the reproach of his people will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Isaiah points us to a moment we've all been waiting for, and the moment when waiting ends. When God will gather all the people for the rich feast and incredible celebration. It's in that gathering, in that shared feast, that we will see the swallowing up of death, the removal of mourning, the extinguishing of condemnation, and the tearing down of the separation between God and humanity. This is the powerful moment of hope's arrival. This is the end. This is Advent complete. Christmas has come. Symbolically and and powerfully in Isaiah, it happens over a meal. It happens over a communal meal. God gathers a diverse and multitude of people at a table. We wait for the arrival of God to us. On Christmas Eve, we celebrate his coming to us. Our waiting is also for His binding together of His people. Far too often we view our holiday seasons and Advent meditation as individuals. It is exclusively for our families or for ourselves. Nothing breaks this isolation and ushers a communal response to Advent like a meal. At the table we share our stories, we listen to one another, we experience grace. The New Testament describes this act as breaking bread and invokes a giving and a receiving of relationship in the most simple and unspoken ways. The communal meal is a spiritual discipline. Every shared feast begins through arrival. Individual responsibilities, schedules, to-do lists, they all collide into a shared agenda of celebrating God. The worries, struggles, fears, and happy news of each member comes rushing through the door. Your lives are hurried until this point, and then they slow down. Your lives are physically separate until this moment, and God gathers you at a communal meal. Communities are physically united by a table. Families become united around plates and silverware. And under this common prayer, we recognize grace and we consume. Christmas communion is important. At the very end of Jesus' life, he holds up bread and wine in his final meal with his disciples. And he says, it is his body and it is his blood. Food and drink become the taste of the gospel. While bread has an association with abundant life that surpasses you know, even normal biblical imagery. In Christ, it becomes the sufficient sacrifice. Wine, too, outside of Christianity is seen as a sign of blessing and goodness. It's often associated with blood within the Bible and without. However, in Christ, wine becomes the image of blessing, goodness, justification, and cleansing through Jesus' suffering on your behalf. What cannot be missed is Jesus' choice for a meal to be a remembrance of the gospel. If the gospel forms community, sharing the gospel feast ought to be done as often as we get together. Jesus called us to know Him and His sacrifice through a meal. When we eat the bread and the wine, we commune around that truth. Charles Wesley penned some important words for this gathering of eating and worship. In his hymn, Wesley reminds us that we are called to remember the first arrival of God and open doors as we welcome God's coming. He writes, "'Come sinners to the gospel feast.'" Let every soul be Jesus' guest. Ye need not be left behind. For God hath bid all humankind. We regularly sang that at our church in Portland called Bread and Wine. And not only do we remember the feast, we hold this truth up to all people as an invitation to come and be the guest of God. This is an anthem and was an anthem for our church in Portland, because it's who we aspired to be. A church that welcomes every soul as Jesus' guest into the most meaningful of tables. Our invitation as the church is to those who are in our cities, not simply to a dinner party, but into the family of God, into union with Christ, into a knowledge of God. The church is to be the place, the table, where we welcome the poor and the powerless for nourishment, not just for bodies, but for souls. And so as you look forward to Christmas celebration, I invite you to sing hymns, to read devotionals, to pray prayers, to light candles. Those are all good and right responses. But I want us to not neglect that moment when we're gathered around the table even if it's with your extended family, if it's with friends, do not miss what's happening there. Do not miss the opportunity to grab the bread and to grab the wine and to be reminded that Jesus has restored what was lost in that meal in the garden. He's restored it through what happened in the garden and on the mountainside and in the empty tomb and in his arrival in Bethlehem the thing that we celebrate tonight on Christmas Eve is worthy of a feast like none other how will you see Christ at your table tonight Before you go, I just want to say a few things about a new resource that's come out recently called The Gospel Basics for Kids. It's an amazing resource that we hope that you'll check out. It's for preschool-aged children, and it guides these kids through discussions and story and music and crafts and illustrations and coloring sheets all to introduce these young children to the important discipleship uh, realities of gospel, identity, rhythms, and essentially the way that we teach and train and disciple adults, we're doing it for kids. Because our children are not the disciples of the future, they're the disciples of today. And so go to saturatetheworld.com or amazon.com to learn more about the gospel basics for kids and get your copy.